Hi, I'm Bailey. And I'm Serena. You're listening to Creative Baggage. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Evan Kassoff about his work as a labor organizer, particularly as president of the Temple University Graduate Students Association. We dive into the inequalities present in higher education, as well as the effects of financial insecurity on our abilities to teach, create art, and help others. You can find Evan's musical works on his website, which is linked in the description of the episode. I'm Evan Kassoff. I'm a composer, a conductor, um, an opera maker, and a labor organizer based in Philadelphia. Cool. Woo! And I'm about to get my PhD, like literally in less than two weeks. I defend a week, two weeks from yesterday, so. That's exciting. Oh, so you're going to be done this semester. Wow. Yeah. Ah, That's great. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited um, to be done with Temple. Or to, like, change my relation. Um. (laughs) Speaking of Temple, I thought it would be nice if you're comfortable to talk about your experience being a labor organizer, about the student union you've been such a huge part of. Did you start it? No. No, you didn't start it, but you really spearheaded and brought into the spotlight, I feel like. Um, You were president, so. Yeah. Um, I can talk about that. Uh, Yeah, so um, Temple has 11 um, labor unions on campus. Uh, So there's like faculty, there's the Temple Graduate Student Association, which is what I was affiliated with. There's, you know, the the ASME union, the SEIU union. So like, you know, service workers, the the police union. um, There's all these different unions. There's a bunch. Um, And so the one I was involved with is uh called tugza or the temple university graduate student association um it was founded in 1997 as a student association which was essentially a bunch of grad students um trying to get together to fight for better working conditions um back then the working conditions for grad workers at temple were pretty terrible um they're still not great but they're significantly less terrible like they didn't have health insurance there was like a Like, uh, if you get, if you go to the hospital, Temple will give you, like, a couple hundred dollars towards, like, helping cover your bills <laughs> kind of deal. Oh, but geez. that was it. And it was really on a case-by-case basis. Um, and then the pay was, like, 10000 a year. And, yeah, that was, like, in 1997 and inflation or whatever. But, like, let's be honest, like, 10000 a year in 1997 is still not a lot of money to live in a big city. Um mm-hmm. So they organized for four years, and in the end, they were able to win a case against Temple in front of the Pennsylvania Labor Relations Board and become a real union. And ever since then, we've been a legally recognized union um, under or like affiliated under the American Federation of Teachers um, and specifically, obviously, the Pennsylvania part. And so what we've what we do is essentially, you know, fight for uh, every four years we bargain for like specific you know, nuts and bolts things that every union fights for. So like benefits, wages, um, working conditions. But we we also, you know, in the in the day to day, like help people like navigate grievances if, if something has happened to them with their teacher or well, actually it's really complicated saying teacher. Um <laughs> which I can, I'll get into this in a second. So <laughs> I was contracted to work like 20 hours a week and 
along with that work, um, you know, you get paid your, your, your pay, whatever. Um, and then I get health insurance and the health insurance is, is nice. Like, it's not great. Um, you still have like pretty expensive, <clears throat> uh, like out of pocket costs. Like, like I had a procedure done in January cause I have carpal tunnel. Um, and so like my hands go numb when I play the cello, which was exacerbated when I was playing an orchestra because I was playing the cello. Right. Uh, <laughs> and you know, about 10 minutes in rehearsal, I'd be like, Oh shit, I'm going to drop my bow. This isn't good, but I'm having so much fun. So like <laughs> power oh, yeah. through and luckily oh, the violins would screw up so much that we rarely had to play for more than 30 seconds at a time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That is true. Um, and, and like, that was a blast. And so anyways, I, I, you know, after insurance, I still have like a, you know, $500 plus bill for that. So like the insurance is whatever, but it's still better than like having nothing. And right. it's what we used to have. And, and frankly, like, so in my own case, like it gets complicated because like Michael Klein is on my committee for my dissertation mm-hmm. and he was also my boss. Now, at the time, he wasn't also my boss or oh, when he was my boss, he wasn't on my committee because I didn't have a committee. But like you could imagine that I could. Right. Mm-hmm. Like most yeah. people doing their graduate work get advisors and get committees early on. And then you get into this weird spot where like, you know, maybe I'm behind on my grading and he's really upset with me or like I did something mm-hmm. wrong in class. Um, and not that he, he in particular probably wouldn't be. He didn't really care what I taught, um, especially the honors class, which I think you guys were in. Yeah. 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 For the record, Michael <laughs> Klein, who we interviewed last season, was our theory professor. And Evan Kassoff, who we're interviewing now, was our TA for the same class. That's yeah. wild. I, yeah. I like everything's such a blur. You'll have to forgive me. Oh, yeah. Trust me. We feel the same way. I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. Tugs exists. And to get an idea of, like, what Tugs actually does, we're going to look at me as an example. So, like, I was a TA, and I TA'd you guys in Theory 1 honors, and you were awesome students. I do remember that. Um, and I was Michael Klein's TA, and I was also this other um, professor, Professor Durr's TA. And um, it gets complicated because Klein is also on my uh, committee uh, for my PhD, and you can imagine there being, like, weird power dynamics there when I'm his when, when he's my boss and he's also, you know, potentially my advisor or something. And so a lot of what the union does in reality is kind of help other graduate employees slash students navigate that because we um, specifically don't touch academic things. Like if you're failing in class or you're getting like expelled because you're failing or whatever, that's, that's your problem. There's academic routes to deal with that. Um, but if you are getting fired because there's like an employment disagreement, we're going to show up to fight for you. If you're not getting paid the right amount, if you're getting overworked, we're going to like file a grievance, whatever. Um, and, and really since COVID happened and really through kind of for everyone in the world, like what employment looks like has changed dramatically. Um, and, that has also been true for, for faculty, not just at Temple, but all around the country. Um, and, and for grad students in particular, who at Temple deliver about a third of all instruction. So if you're an undergrad dropping like 18 grand a year for, for your uh, tuition, you're, you're paying about $6,000 a year to, pay, to, to get taught by a graduate student, which is fine. Graduate students are really smart. Um, yeah. where we, we 
sometimes care a lot. <laughs> a lot of times we don't because we're making, uh, you know, $18,000 a year before taxes and taking home about, you know, 15000 14000 after. Uh, and so, like, you know, two students in our class pay our entire um, salary and then everyone else is just free labor. Mm. And... <laughs> And that's with the union. Um, and that's like indicative, I think, of just bigger issues in higher education that um, that I think affect everything that happens to us as like art makers and yeah. as um, as a creative people and just as students. Um, it's it's you know, there's all these memes floating around right now that like, oh, there was a time like the the. <laughs> The real MAGA is like when you didn't have to get like a doctorate to be able to like um, put food on the table for yourself and like your yeah. partner. Yeah. Um, although actually getting a doctorate lowers your earning potential because a lot of employers won't hire you because you're overqualified. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. I, I, I have friends who have doctorates that don't put it on their resume. Wow. They just stop at their master's degree because they um, know that they won't get hired. Yeah. Or they won't be able to like bargain for like a higher salary in whatever field they're going into. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, like the corporatization of higher education, I think, has like really changed um, the whole dynamic about how we learn and what we learn in the way in which, especially for musicians and, and people that are kind of studying things that aren't easily accessible um, oh. by like a pedagogical like system, it makes it really hard. And like, obviously like, and then, and then that, and then, yeah. So like, it's really hard, right? Cause like, although you could give a flute recital and like nail every piece and everyone's like, oh great. Really Serena, you're competent flute players. You get an A. Like that also doesn't mean anything except yeah. like if you didn't get an A, you might lose your scholarship and then your whole life falls apart. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh -huh. for instance. Um, but then on the other side, all the pressure to like make up the massive gap between the way college is like constructed as an institution these days and the way in which pedagogy needs to happen in order to create like competent human beings that exist in the world is foisted upon the shoulders of faculty, including graduate students and adjuncts who do yep. the actual instruction. Yeah. Um, and so, and while people like Michael Klein might make six figures and like you know they they earn it like i'm not saying they should oh, yeah they should yeah. right yeah. they hustle they're brilliant they give a damn about their students um I, me making six times less than that is not indicative of me working yeah. one sixth yes. as hard and that becomes an inequity that really destroys the the mental health the physical health the spirit of people who like go into like becoming teachers becoming pedagogues becoming artists or like just pursuing higher education and so the union exists a little bit to like install a bit of a bulwark against that mm -hmm. that at some point when the exploitation gets so high we will come in and, and put our hand on the other end of the scale yeah but we are swimming way upstream. We are one of, I think, 35 plus or minus a few graduate employee unions in the country. We're the only one in Pennsylvania. Wow. Like Penn has tried to unionize a few times and those unionization efforts always fail. Same at Pitt. Actually, Pitt just went through this whole thing like a year ago. They had a union election and 
the, uni- the, the university's administration was like telling international students that if they voted to unionize, they could get deported, which is it's it's like absolutely false. It's totally not true. Um, it's protected concerted activity. It's been absolutely totally legal to vote to be in union without it affecting any sort of your international status since we had labor law in this country. And also like so Pitt got called out for that um, and got. Uh, there's like a whole case in front of the Pennsylvania Labor Relations Board about it. But Holy. especially with graduate worker unions, there's like an issue of timeliness and transience. Like I'm about yeah. to graduate in the four and a half years I've been at Temple. I went from not knowing tugs existed to negotiating a contract with them to being the vice president to the president. Now not being involved with it at all. Mm. It is very hard to build competent long-term institutional memory when you have so much turnover not only in the leadership but in the in the body politic right like in the actual people who are participating because if it takes me like a year to convince you to join the union Mm -hmm. um that's already 25 percent of the time you'll be at temple maybe and then and then you leave it's very difficult to grow and maintain and as a result like everything that's good in higher education, it's swimming upstream against everything that is bad in higher education. Um, yeah, because like people want to come here because of the institution. And so the institution always has the power of like, well, we're Temple University or we're UPenn. And if you want to come here and be a grad student, then this is what you have to take. And most people are like, well, I guess I need to get my education and I got into a good school and I want to come here. So that's that. And I mean, I'm experiencing kind of the same thing. I'm doing an AmeriCorps service here right now, and it's like AmeriCorps, and everybody knows what that is, and it's a community service organization, and so their idea is like, we pay you pennies, like $15,000 a year or less, and Mm -hmm. you do service for people in low-income areas, or you do service like helping the environment in certain areas of the country, and they say like, oh, well, we want you to live like the people that you're serving so that you can understand what it's like. But in reality, what happens is the people who are already struggling and already living like the people who they're serving are not learning anything because they've had to deal with this their whole life. And then people like me who would maybe need to experience that don't actually because I'm getting paid so little that it makes more sense for me to live with my parents. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then there's like this third part that like ultimately the lived experience isn't just like not being able to put food on the table. Yeah. It's it's like understanding that like I mean, and I suppose if AmeriCorps enforced it in that like they were like, we're gonna institutionally disenfranchise you so you can know what it's like for the people <laughs> oh, we're God. home. Reserving. But then you can't serve it, them properly, you know? Well, right. And so then it and that's exactly it, is that it comes down to the like like <laughs> It's really ridiculous. <laughs> and we had this whole presentation yesterday. I was so mad. And Bailey was like, why are you in such a bad mood? I sat through like a six hour presentation of like, what can you cut out of your life so that you can make ends meet on like $5 an hour? How can you get a side hustle after you're supposed to be working 35 hours a week already? And like, you should drive for Uber or Lyft or Instacart or something and make ends right. meet. And it's like, you shouldn't be like giving us this much money and then telling us to get a side job to further our exploitation. It's just like, I don't, you know, I, I just cannot get my head around the fact that 
doing the best work, the work that helps people and, and uplifts others and levels the playing field, why is that the least incentivized mm-hmm. work that we have? Because... Like, be- <laughs> I, so... <laughs> answer it. Answer it. <laughs> Tell us, Evan. Because the only true... The only, like... Not true. Like, the common denominator of the American identity is capitalism. Mm-hmm. And capitalism is not a system that works for people. It works for capital. And I'm not, like, I'm not, like, right? And so, mm-hmm. like, at the end of the day, um, the reason why we have things like AmeriCorps at all, or hospitals, or whatever, is just so that the people are placated enough <laughs> So that they continue to participate in capitalism. And like, it's the reason why like the House Committee on Un-American Activities existed from like the 30s until the 70s. And although it started as a Nazi hunting committee, because Nazis are bad, um, (laughs) it very quickly became a um, communist hunting thing. You know, there's all those things about McCarthy or whatever, although Mm -hmm. McCarthy was in the Senate, whatever. Um, He wasn't in the House. But like... Like, it was un-American to think that there is a different way in which we can organize our economic reality. Mm-hmm. And in the degree to which... And that was, that was happening while FDR was president, like, the most yeah. socialist person yeah. we've ever had, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, yep. and, 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 and so, like, it's not that... Okay, so, like, in any, like, vaguely neoliberal system where, like, essentially the work you put in equates the amount of money that comes to be valued by some arbitrary, like, capacity of society in order to, like, give you that money, Um, like, (laughs) artists are going to be poor, right? Teachers are going to be poor. They are in the UK. They are in Europe. Mm. But um, they're, like, Mm -hmm. when they fall they fall a lot shorter distance and onto a lot softer cushion. But that frees up at least a little bit of room for people to say, okay, even though this pays less, like I can still dedicate my life to this cause that I care about because at the very least I'll be taken care of. And here it's yeah. like there are a lot of really intelligent, talented, gifted, good-hearted people who cannot in good conscience take those service positions, take those artistic creative jobs or even a leap into like starting a business that they think will be beneficial to society because they have to take care of their family or they have yeah no needs that they totally need to i mean i um you know? the oh. lack of imagination that we have because we're so um we're so steeped in this like bullshit mythology of like picking out yourself up from the boots up from the bootstrap but also like right. this is how things right. are so this is and how like, things and have like, to be yeah you know? and that oh, was certainly God. the case during feudalism until it wasn't you know <laughs> and that was that was certainly the case in like Soviet <laughs> yeah. communism until it wasn't and like that can be the case here until it isn't and it doesn't have to be that way and like the way in which that like ties into like our experience as artists isn't that like we're all of a sudden going to have our McMansions and our Stradivari instruments or whatever. But it just means that like, like Bailey, you've, you've played for me. Like we, <laughs> we've hired you to play an Enna gig. And like, 
we didn't pay you very much. Yeah. Right. And like, (laughs) I know that. No. Like, I run a labor (laughs) unit. It really stresses me out how much we can pay. And like, we pay as absolutely as much as we can. Right. Um, And sometimes people haven't been able to take our gigs because they, um, they can't afford it. And like, if, if we lived in a society where like, that wasn't part of the equation that like you got paid to take a gig because like you've earned that money through like Mm -hmm. the righteous superiority of your playing or just like how great you are to like work with or whatever. That's why you should get paid for your time. Not just to put food on the table. And if putting food on the table isn't an issue, if going to like the hospital isn't an issue, then we, then we don't have to have, we wouldn't have such a stratified experience of like professional music, for instance, where you're either like a tenured player in the Philadelphia orchestra mm-hmm. making like a hundred thousand dollars a year, or you're like a broke ass freelancer driving around in a 2008 Hyundai accent with a broken tail light, a fucked up bumper and a missing passenger door handle. Like I am, oh. um, <laughs> you know, and like, it, like, it doesn't have to be so extreme. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share with a friend. You can also follow us on Instagram and sign up for our email list for the latest updates. All of our platforms can be found on the link tree in the description of the episode.